Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, concerns about affordability continue to rise as Canada's inflation rate jumps to its highest level in 31 years. Obviously, we're going to see people start to demand wage increases that are kind of commensurate with with that. Otherwise, they're experiencing a real pay cut. The Prime Minister says details about new military aid to Ukraine are being kept quiet for now. For uh, reasons of operational security, I can't go into the details uh, at this point on uh, how and what we're getting to them exactly, uh, but I can assure you we will have more to say in the coming days uh, as we deliver uh, what they actually need to be able to continue not just to defend their own homeland against this illegal Russian invasion, but to defend the very values and principles that we hold dear. And the federal government announces a fund to help bring Ukrainian refugees to Canada. An initiative with Miles for Migrants, the Shapiro Foundation, and Air Canada that's going to help many, many Ukrainians find safe haven here. It's Thursday, April 21st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So inflation is at a 31-year high in Canada. What do you think that means for the Canadian economy, for consumers, and in particular for Canadian politics? Because it is something that the opposition and conservative leadership candidate Pierre Poilievre keep bringing up and blaming on the Liberal government. Right. Well, obviously, for consumers, not good news. I mean, this is way, way higher than had been anticipated, a full percentage point increase on the February figure. You know, gasoline rise, 40%, groceries up somewhere around 9%. So, you know, 6.7%, while high, doesn't really reflect some of the uh, the key inputs that people are having to pay. So, so yeah, it's pretty, I think, uh, distressing for a lot of people. Um, obviously, we're going to see people uh, start to demand wage increases that are kind of commensurate with with that, otherwise they're experiencing a real pay cut. The Bank of Canada has put up rates already. We're going to see another three or four rate increases, which which obviously adds a new level of hardship for for people who are uh, who borrow money or buying houses. You know, all of this is is puts pressure on the Canadian economy, creates the, the prospect of a potential recession. Yet, you know, the bank had been pretty sanguine about the whole idea of inflation. It was really a temporary supply chain problem that would work the way out. Well, it looks like it's it's not that, or if that, or if that is part of the problem, it's not the whole problem. And uh, and those supply chain problems don't look like they're going to be worked out very quickly, particularly with you see lockdowns in Shanghai and other other problems of uh, exporting goods and importing and exporting from China. So it all adds up to a a pretty gloomy economic picture, despite the fact that we've come rolling back from from COVID and we're more or less at full employment. Um, and that translates into the political sphere. It can never be good for a sitting government to have inflation running at uh, 6 7% a year. So, yeah, I think the, the opposition will make hay with it. How much of it is down to the, the uh, federal government is an arguable point. I mean, I do think that they, they didn't help matters by spraying money around during COVID, but uh, but I think if they hadn't, there would have been great hardship. And if the central bank had not engaged in quantitative easing, then the financial system might have uh, might have seized up. 
So did they overdo it and extend it? Quite possibly, but uh, I don't think anybody argues that they, the, uh, the government and the Bank of Canada shouldn't have backstopped the economy when COVID hit. Mm. All right, uh, let's turn to the situation in Ukraine. And uh, it was announced a couple of days ago that Canada would be sending heavy artillery to Ukraine. Uh, and now the Prime Minister... Uh, has been asked questions about exactly what that means, what's what that involves, uh, what what kinds of artillery will be sent, um, and the government isn't saying much at this point. Um, so, what's what's that all about? Well, I wish we knew. I mean, I think it's been uh, it's fair to say that the government's uh, approach here has been pretty opaque, it's been slow, plodding. Um, you know, there've been various suggestions to send arms that we have, which you know, including. Harpoon anti-ship missiles, for example, or light armoured vehicles that we ha- have plenty of them. And we have 600 or so of those. And people like Rick Hillier, the former Chief of the Defence Staff, have said, let's get them into Ukraine. That's what they want. They want armoured vehicles. They want missiles. They want well, they want planes and tanks too, but Canada doesn't have those to spare. Um, there seems to have been a reluctance to do that on the part of the politicians and the bureaucrats Um you know, they don't want to take it out of Canada's inventory because they claim that Canada might need it to to uh, fulfil its NATO commitments or whatever. But, you know, you speak to someone like Hillier who says the Canadian forces at the moment are in no position to, to send hundreds or thousands of troops overseas. We already have a battle group in, in Latvia, 500 troops there. They are using, I think they're using labs. They're certainly using or have access to of artillery, it may be that that artillery that's in Latvia is going to be moved to Ukraine now. Uh, it's, Trudeau has used the excuse of operational reasons for not explaining what's going on, but you know we saw the Americans announce one day that they were going to start sending howitzers. You know the next day, some of that uh, some of that gear is landing in in Poland, and and the Americans are talking about training Ukrainian troops. It seems to happen a lot quicker in other places. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, meanwhile, the immigration minister, Sean Fraser, uh, announced yesterday there's a fund being set up that will allow Canadians to make donations of cash or airplane points to help Ukrainian refugees fly to Canada. The government is is trying to help, they say, 10,000 uh, refugees to come to this country. Um, I know there have been concerns in the past about how quickly the government has been moving on this and how there has been a lot of bureaucracy, and, and it's been difficult to get the wheels in motion. Uh, is is Canada doing enough at this point to help those who are fleeing the war? Well, I, I think that we have quite often made great noises about the thousands of people we're going to bring in, and then underwhelmed when it comes to the, the speed with which we do that. I mean, I think uh, we in the Post carried a story last week of a, uh, a Ukrainian student here who could not get back because they couldn't locate her passport. Um, you know, she was getting messages back from government ministers saying, we'll get back to you in five business days. Uh, you know, when you're in, she was, she was in Poland and she, anyway, it was a rather convoluted story, but quite often the, the bureaucracy gets in the way of the good intentions. Uh, let's hope in this case it doesn't and that that uh, scheme goes smoothly and, and people who are facing desperation to get into Canada. Yeah. All right, finally, uh, John, I'm interested in your thoughts on the on, on the Conservative leadership race and where things stand now. There's been a lot of uh, 
uh, discussion this week about the different lines of attack that have developed in the campaign. It has been one that uh, has featured many candidates attacking each other. Um, what do you think about how this is shaping up? Yeah, I mean, it's, some of this stuff is going to uh, leave a mark, for sure. You know, it may be. So we've got Patrick Brown attacking Pierre Poilier, Pierre Poilier attacking Brown, Poilier attacking Charest, Charest attacking Poilier. It's not a very uh, dignified or edifying spectacle. Um, it's hard to, to know what to make of it. I mean, what we do know is that Poilier is pulling in lots and lots of people to his rallies. I mean, a thousand people in at the um, Steam Whistle Brewery in Toronto uh, a night or two ago. In Toronto, I mean, downtown Toronto, it's not uh, a great stomping ground for for conservatives normally. But so, he's, so he is bringing in crowds. Steam Whistle caused a stir by making a point that uh, they didn't endorse his political message. It's not clear, though, that that, uh, that translates into memberships. I mean, I think he probably is selling memberships, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to steamroll this whole leadership race because of the way that it's uh, the, the ranked ballot works. I mean, we've seen in two successive races the front-runner didn't win because yeah. uh, can, candidates further down the ballot endorsed candidates further up the ballot when they were knocked off. And, uh, you know, I think it's cl- it, what's pretty clear is that Patrick Brown is not attacking Jean Charest or vice versa. So I think we could expect to see the first of those to fall off to endorse the other one. And what, whether that is enough to trump Poiliev, then uh, no, no pun intended, then I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. Perhaps not probable, but possible. Going to be very interesting to watch, and and there are debates coming up, and uh, and it'll be fascinating to see how those play out as well. John, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We've been there for Ukraine. We've been uh, sending uh, lethal and non-lethal military assistance. We've been there for humanitarian support, significant financial support uh, for the people in the government of Ukraine as well as uh, they deal with this unconscionable illegal invasion. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach argues, never again is an empty slogan, and Vladimir Putin knows it. Urbach writes, there is no red line in Russia's attack on Ukraine that will turn the world's moral indignation into license for direct military intervention or genuinely crippling sanctions. The grim reality is that the red line sits along the border between Poland and Ukraine. And as long as Russia's war crimes are carried out a few kilometers east of Poland, they will be permitted to continue. There is about 75 years' worth of evidence that never again is merely an empty slogan, and its influence pales in comparison to legitimate concerns about military escalation, nuclear threats, and Europe's dependence on Russian oil. In the Toronto Star, Sutton Delacorte considers Canada's toxic partisanship. Delacorte writes, Steam Whistle handed out a statement to attendees of Pierre Poilievre's rally Tuesday night saying the brewery does not endorse his views. That disclaimer is a perfect example of the freedom of speech that his team is always talking about. They don't share his views, but open their doors to him. That's how things work when people can draw the line between political differences and ordinary life. 
but that's not where Canadian politics seems headed. We might be seeing a lot more businesses feeling the need to issue disclaimers whenever politicians use their institutions as backdrops for their polarizing events. In the conversation, Susan Dupetsch argues tourism is the missing piece of Canada's cannabis legalization puzzle. Dupesh writes, If the iconic coffee shops of Amsterdam have taught us anything, it's that the ability to purchase and consume cannabis in a lounge-type setting attracts tourism. It could offer timely opportunities for businesses in the tourism and hospitality industry hit hard by the pandemic. But a vibrant cannabis tourism industry in Canada is being held back by a lack of clear and meaningful rules. Regulations enabling public cannabis consumption would push forward a socially responsible and progressive agenda for tourism that benefits tourists and citizens alike. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister and the President of Inuit Tepirit Kanatami, Nathan Obed, will co-chair the meeting of the Inuit Crown Partnership Committee. They will then be joined by Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller for an announcement and a news conference. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos and Minister of Seniors Kamal Kara will be in Scarborough, Ontario, to make a funding announcement supporting long-term care. And in Laval, Quebec, Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau will make an announcement about the launch of a new national program to support biodiversity conservation and climate change adaptation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April 21st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.